0: Dear Mr. Merrill, you and a guest have been selected for an all-inclusive stay at our new luxurious resort hotel. Located on the beautiful shores of Barbados, this luxury hotel presents a five-star luxury experience for our guests, and it begins with our inspired designs. As always, we continue to push beyond the boundaries of innovation, hospitality, to deliver a vacation that is decidedly indulgent and undeniably luxurious. We promise that this resort is everything you expect from us and more. RSVP today and be the first to experience this luxurious resort and join us for our grand opening on January the 28th, 2015. Book your vacation today and receive $1,000 airfare credit two free night stay, and $225 winter booking bonus. Take advantage of this grand opening sale and come and see it for yourself. So I did. I went to a destination vacation website. I looked at the photos, the hotel, the resort, the beach. I checked out all the activities, the restaurants, and all the things you could do throughout the day. And lastly, I looked at the price. We're not going. (laughs) Now, an exotic vacation with at a new luxury resort with Royals Royce car service. is very enticing, especially when you're in the cold, gray winter of Indiana. Thursday afternoon, I caught myself thinking about Barbados, staring out of my office window, staring out at the bleak uh, gray sky, the brown uh, fields behind the building, and the lifeless woods. And I thought, there's got to be some money around there somewhere to get out of here. And we need an RSVP today. You know, the Bible tells us and instructs us repeatedly to set our our minds on things above. It tells us over and over again to lay up our treasures in heaven and to fix our eyes, not on this world, but on the world that is to come where we'll be forever with God in heaven without the hindrance of sin. Do you know that Christians who were in the first century who lived under uh, um, uh, an air of persecution, they would pray daily Not for this world, but that God would come quickly and rescue them so that they could go to the next world in heaven. And their prayer would just simply be Maranatha, which is translated, come, Lord Jesus. Get us out of this gray world. Get us away from these lifeless woods. Get us away from these brown fields and get us to Barbados in a hurry. Inevitably, I think when the subject of future events like heaven comes up, there's always a few in the congregation that say, why would we talk about this? I mean, after all, God's prepared it. I mean, we're going to be there, and whatever it is, it's going to be great. Well, I think there's some reason to talk about it beyond that. I think it's important to talk about heaven because it reminds us that this world, number one, is not our home. This world's not our home. If you go to First John and you look at chapter 2, verse 15, it says, don't love the world or anything that belongs to the world. Like, don't get too attached to the things of this world. Because it says, if you love the world, you can't love the Father. See, while God has created this world, this world has become very complex, way more complex than it was supposed to be because of sin. Sin complexes and makes circumstances that were never to be. And God says, don't, don't get too in love with this place. This place is not what was originally intended to be it's important to talk about heaven because it gives us hope for the future regardless of what our present state is think about that it gives us hope for the future regardless of what our present state might be the apostle peter tried to encourage those christians in the first century who felt like aliens and strangers in this world i mean they felt like this world wasn't their home you ever feel like that as a christian sometimes like this really is not where i belong this is not the kind of thinking that is my thinking. This doesn't go along with the God that I serve. Well, the Apostle Peter was saying, look, I know some of you feel that way and you feel like foreigners and strangers in this land. And so here's what he tells that first century church. Here's what he tells you and me in First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He says, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. That means we can start something new and fresh. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And, verse 4, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It's an inheritance that's laid up there. And I think it's important to talk about heaven because when we get trapped into the feelings that we can't do anything or we're hopeless in the present, we can look towards the future and we can say, God's stored up for us some some inheritance, and that inheritance isn't going to get drained away. There's not going to be a family fight over this inheritance. It's laid up and secured in heaven. I think it's important to talk about heaven because it helps answer some of the questions that we have about life after death. And you don't have to be growing older just to have questions about life and death. You don't have to be sick to have questions about life and death. My kids have questions about life and death. We all have these kinds of questions about what takes place after we breathe our last breath. I don't know any way to explain what happens after life, after death, and comes life again. The best way I can explain where we're at in this world is by looking simply into the fish bowl that maybe some of you have in your house. I mean, have you ever felt sorry for a fish that's been trapped in a bowl? I mean, he has plenty to eat, he has water to swim in, but I mean, compared to what his natural environment would give to him. He is very limited to a perspective of just that bowl, and that's how I feel about this world. We're just limited to a perspective of this world. We have no idea about what awaits for us. I mean, that little poor fish has no idea that there's a whole other environment to explore. Let's flush him down the toilet and let him explore it. I mean, there's endless exploration that that fish can find, and yet he kind of just keeps nudging the edge of the bowl knowing, I think, instinctively, like you and I know instinctively that there is more beyond the bowl. Like we know there's more beyond the grave. There's more beyond this world. I think that's why it's important to talk about heaven. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes that God has planted eternity, you see, in our hearts. We all have this kind of longing because we know there's something more. The apostle Paul said, we grow weary we grow weary in this present body, and we long to put our heavenly bodies on like new clothes. There's some of you that are just waiting to put on the heavenly body. You're just, you're just saying, get rid of the aches and pains. I'm tired of the brain that's not functioning like it used to. I'm tired of the body that seems to be, well, some of us have what we call what, the, dress, just, uh, the furniture problem. Our, our, our chest has fallen into our drawers, okay? And you're saying, I just want a new body. God, get me out of this place. I know there's something better. I know that we don't have to have these worries and concerns. Just, just I long for a heavenly home. Now, let's just say you were to book that that exotic, luxurious vacation to Barbados. You took my card and you handed it in. You got all the airfares and the night stay. I think you too would quickly go to the website and you'd check out all that it has to offer. You would find out for yourself the restaurants and how nice the beaches were and this. The services that were provided you check out pictures and videos you'd read brochures you check out the activities of the hotel you'd plan your sightseeing tours and you'd be excited about it but it's a little bit harder to get excited about heaven isn't it it's because we have just no description of it there's no pictures of heaven God doesn't give us a whole lot of details about heaven there's really not much that's really said about heaven and what we know happens there when you think of it I think some of us have the misconception, though, because we don't know what is out there, that this place is kind of boring because there's been all these misconceptions of what heaven is like, and that is we just are some kind of like spirit with a halo in white robes sitting on a cloud. We have no true identity. We're all in white robes. We have no fashion sense anymore, and we're just hanging out there, and we're all playing these harps, and we're just, and when we're not playing the harp, we're probably worshiping and bowing before the king and we're singing praises to him. And we say, gosh, that's, that's boring sounding. But friends, those are misconceptions of what heaven is like. That's not how the Bible talks about heaven. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul, when he thinks about heaven, when he thinks about death, he says, I would prefer to be dead. And in heaven than to be alive in this world, I mean he's saying, look i don't care how good it gets here it's going to be way better in heaven it's going to be unfathomable for us to think about and understand and I think when it comes to heaven it's going to be today like trying to explain the theory of relativity to three year olds or at least to myself i mean i'm just not going to understand that i don't understand the wholeness, the fullness of heaven, and I don't think today we're going to get a real grasp on it but If you would just let me finish by trying to explain what heaven is going to be like, I will try to do my best to explain it to you in humanistic terms. I think, number one, in heaven, we will have continual discovery. Continual discovery. At the beginning of the series, my grandfather had this this crazy, incredible message, and he talked about interplanetary travel. Do you remember that? He's like, beam me up, Scotty, and we'll just be able to move from one planet to the next planet. I have no idea, but I know within that, we're able to explore all of God's creation. I don't know how we're going to do it, and that just blows my mind. It blows my mind to think that we'll be able to explore all of God's creation, the creation that we have yet to even find beyond telescopes and laser scopes and all those things that are tracking the distance of the universe. God says, that's all for you to travel around and explore. And that's going to take eternity, isn't it? The Bible says no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, meaning God is just so much beyond us. listen to it like this. It took God six days to make the heavens and the earth, and we're still exploring this thing. And Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and that was 2,000 years ago. Now you do the math about what's being prepared and what's being created. It's going to be absolutely Spectacular. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, it kind of puts the kibosh on this idea that when we arrive at heaven, we know all things and everything is discovered. Friends, if that were the case, we would be God and that wouldn't make sense. So there's obviously things that are there to be discovered. Ephesians 2, it puts it like this. God raised us up with Christ. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. Verse 7, in order that in the coming ages, that's heaven, he might show... This is a continual action. He might show the incomparable riches, you can't understand these riches, and his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That phrase, he might show, so that he might show, is this idea that we're going to constantly be exploring. If you love the outdoors, and you can't get enough of the outdoors, and you can't get enough of hiking and exploration, friends, heaven is going to be, a constant creation of things to do and places to explore. I mean, there are so many unanswerable questions here on this earth, and there are going to be so many ways in which we can learn. There's going to be ways in which you can learn about why God did what He did in your life on this earth, I believe. And so you can look back and you say, man, my teenage years were just tragic, and why did I walk through that? And I, and I can't believe that, that I had to endure that. And you're going to see how God had lifted you up along the path of those, of those years. I, I think there's going to be opportunity for us to, to learn things that I've always, we've wanted to learn in the service, but just didn't have the time. Like, maybe I can go and get a, a, an MBA, and it's going to take 50 years to get, but I'll get it. And I'll learn it to guys like Moses, leadership skills and principles that you can put in place, and guys like Daniel about courage. And then he can say, now, I just taught you about courage. Now, let me just show you the lion's den where all that took place. I think there's going to be all sorts of things that we can learn in heaven, things that you've always wanted to do and things you've always wanted to learn about and instruments You've always wanted to learn how to play. I think for some of you, those of you who've always wanted to preach, there'll be a preaching one on one class will be taught by Evan. Uh, Don't laugh. I think he's going to be there. And and instead of of listening to us preaching, we can listen to you preach for a change and and then Evan and I can sit back in the chairs and look at you like you look at us and we can just kind of follow along with you and that sounds like heaven to me. I think we can watch stories of the Apostle Paul and true stories and how it all unfolded in his life and the conversion that took place, Simon Peter, and kind of his zealousness and how he went from this rambunctious character to this very faithful man and, and just see the consistency of, of, of Mary, the mother of Christ, and, and his, her, her love for, for that son. And after it's all over, we can, we can stroll all over the place. And I love that video because that video reminds us we're not going to be floating around and just kind of some spirit. We can run, we can walk, we can hug, we can laugh, we can have joyous times. It's going to be an area of continual discovery. In Revelation chapter 21 verse 5, which is the, the crux, the, the whole leaning behind this series, it says, behold, I'm making everything new. I'm making everything new. Now notice what Jesus is saying He didn't say, I made all things new, which would put a stamp of completion on He's saying, what? I am making, this is a continual creative thing. Think about this for a moment. God is a creator at the very core of who he is. He creates. He's not going to get done creating. He's going to continual make creation. You know, scientists are finding out that the universe is still expanding. They're saying it's still being created. Now, that is infallible kind of stuff that God's never going to get outdone. He's always going to continue to create. We're always going to have something to learn and to explore. I think also in heaven we'll be involved in meaningful work, and some of you are like, are you kidding me? The Bible points out in Revelation chapter 7 and 22 that in heaven we're going to serve God, and service means that there is action involved. We're going to get our hands callous. Well, I don't know if we'll be callous because it'll be perfect, but we're going to get to work. Randy Alcorn, in his book called Heaven, says, service is active, service isn't passive. Work in heaven won't be frustrating or fruitless. Instead, it will involve lasting accomplishment, unhindered by decay and fatigue, enhanced by unlimited resources. We'll approach our work with enthusiasm. We'll bring to our favorite sport or hobby the same kind of enthusiasm as we would them. And in heaven, we'll reign with Christ, exercise leadership, authority, and make... Important decisions. I know that some of you in this room, you you categorize that word work with something bad. That's because we're under the curse. That means because we sweat and we toil to earn a living under this sun. And it beats down on us and it makes us hot and it makes us us irritable. And we just want to finish the day and we just want to go to bed only so we can start the whole process over again. And the Bible tells us, no, no, there's going to be meaningful work. God's going to use your giftedness just exactly how it is. And you're no longer going to have a career. You're going to have a calling. Your talents and your giftedness and your personality, they're all going to be in perfect align to do some servant things in heaven. And it's going to be very meaningful work. And we're not going to get tired of this stuff. Work isn't a bad thing. I mean, to God, work was never a bad thing. If you go to the book of Genesis, you see before the fall of man, before man slipped into sin, Adam and Eve had some things to do in the garden to maintain it, and they loved life. They loved life working, doing some things that were meaningful and productive. It wasn't frustrating to them. But when sin set in, that's when frustration came. That's when work became a bad name and had to become more like a chore rather than a calling in life. And when we get to heaven, all that's going to be turned upside down. Work's going to be very meaningful. We're going to be able to tackle jobs that we always wanted to tackle on earth. We're going to be able to do things in heaven that we were never able to do, maybe because of limited mind or limited ability, and we can do them in heaven together. But let me tell you some things. Some of the professions that we find on earth and that some of you are involved in, they're not going to be in heaven. Like, for instance, you're not going to need doctors anymore in heaven. You're not going to need funeral directors anymore in heaven. You're not going to need dentists anymore in heaven. They're going to be working probably like, you know, uh, sledgehammers and jackhammers to build the streets of gold or something, but they're not going to be drilling on your teeth anymore. But God's going to use all these people to do things that are perfectly equipped for us to do in perfect acts of service. Some of your jobs are going to be changed around and they're going to align with you perfectly, and it's going to be meaningful work. Just think about the best day's work you've ever had and the times where you've just walked away and you said, man, that was so productive. That was so perfect. That is just a little uh, pink spoonful of a sample of what heaven's going to be like continually, perfectly set, perfectly in place for you to do great, meaningful actions of work. And friends, we're going to glorify God by doing it. Well, I think in heaven too, we'll be perfectly satisfied with 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 rest. Uh, of course, if there's work, there's got to be some rest, right? And some of the most meaningful rest I think I've ever had is when I put in a hard day's work and laid my head down on the pillow at night after a meaningful day's work, and I just was able to fall asleep and not be woken up until the alarm went back off again. Rest is good. I, God did his labor in six days after creation, and then he rested on the seventh day. Jesus calls all these people to him, and he says, You burdened? You worried? Come to me, and you'll find, you'll find rest. God is someone that says, I believe in, in rest. And I don't know if that's some power naps in heaven. I don't know if that means sleeping in heaven. I don't know if that means uh, that we're going to have great night's sleep without maybe the aid of, of sleeping pills. This is going to be great. We're just going to have rest. I don't know what that exactly looks like, if that means our eyes are closed. I I, I think it has something more to do with the cares. We no longer have cares for this world. We no longer have worries of this world. It's not rest in the sense that our bodies are aching, we're tired, we're worn down from work. It's rest in the sense of we've done something accomplishable. We get to stand back and admire the work and say, man, isn't that good? Let's celebrate together. I know in the book of Hebrews it tells us in chapter 4, For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. And I know some of you are saying, well, I thought you just spent five minutes on how we're going to have meaningful work, and now here it is talking about rest. So are we going to be weary from our work? The answer is no. The idea here of work in Hebrews chapter 4 is this idea that work is burdensome and that it is unpleasant and it's a toil because we're caught up in sin and we're burdened by what sin has shackled us to. And in heaven, we're not going to have any fatigue. We're not going to have energy loss. We're not going to have headaches because our mind hurts because of the complex problem. We're going to be able to solve things, accomplish things, and get things done in a very meaningful way and be very satisfied with it. Also in heaven, we'll be connected through loving relationships. Let me just give you an idea of what we'll talk about uh, next week more extensively. Uh, We'll be gathered together around a table. And at that table, there'll be friends and family members of people who have given their life to Christ. And we're going to recognize them, and we're going to celebrate with them, and we're going to be family together in heaven. I know there's some of you in this room, you can't wait to see uh, some some children or a spouse that has passed on. I heard a a 98-year-old woman who said, you know, God better call me home soon, otherwise my friends are going to think I'm not going to make it. You know, people ask me, do I... Do I think I, I really recognize those who have died before me like my Father in heaven? I say, absolutely. When Jesus hung on the cross and he talked to that uh, penitent thief that was there with him, Jesus, remember his words were, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is the idea of we will recognize one another. How about when the disciples walk along with Jesus and they get to the Mount of Transfiguration and there is Moses and Elijah appears before them and the disciples automatically recognize them as moses and elijah they haven't seen these guys ever before these guys have been dead for a thousand years and yet there they stand and the disciples say we know exactly who those guys are i think we'll know exactly who each other are i think it's going to be this great reunion in heaven a connection of loving relationships let's just look beyond that for a moment so we'll talk more about that next week there's going to be a great fellowship with god like we've never experienced before Fellowship with God without our sins making us embarrassed to be in front of him. Fellowship with God like we've never known before. This is really big. Look with me in in Revelation 21. And and look at verse 3 and just hold it there for a moment. There's so much to unpack in Revelation 21. It says in verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now this is a description of what's going on in heaven. Now the dwelling of God, check this, this is great. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. The dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Friends, this is truly incredible what Jesus says to us and pronounces of what will be. James MacDonald, who's a popular Christian Uh, Preacher you can probably hear him on the radio about noontime on our local Christian radio station He says the picture there is of me As a follower of Jesus Christ emerging from a very difficult world wounded and battered From the struggles of this life and stepping into all of eternity and falling into the father's arms for the first time This unseen God is going to be very seen and very visible. This unfeeling God that we can't touch right now. We're going to be able to touch, and He's going to be able to love on us, and we're going to be able to love on Him. Like the greatest of parents. And There's going to be an immediate response for us to fall down and to worship Him and to love Him and to see Him in all of His glory without our sin problem. In all of His his holiness. Because we will be of perfect state because of Christ's perfect shed blood which covers us. You know, the NIV says, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. But there is a paraphrased version of the Bible called the message, and I like how it puts it. It says, look, God has moved into our neighborhood, making his home with men and women. I like that. I like that God moves into our neighborhood. He says, look, there's nothing anymore that's going to separate us. We don't live on the other side of the tracks anymore. We live together. And there's going to be this commonality between me and you, your, your son, your daughter, and I'm dad. And we're a family. We will be connected through loving relationships, with friends and family, and of course, with God. I think also we'll experience endless unequaled pleasure. Now, I know that we don't think of it like this so much, but if you get back to the book of Psalms and look at chapter 16, verse 11, and you get really deep into the King James Version, it says, if your presence is fullness of joy, in your presence is fullness of joy, this is David talking to God, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We're gonna experience some great pleasures. I don't know exactly, how all these pleasures are going to come. I know the Bible talks about food, which is pretty cool, because I love to eat. The only reason why I exercise is so I can eat really good food. i got an eating problem. I like to eat. Revelation tells us that in 19 that there's going to be this wedding supper of the Lamb. So there's going to be food there, and I think we can have guilt-free eating. No more calorie counting. Good stuff. No more diets. We can just eat up all the good stuff, and we're going to experience around that table laughter. You ever been in a good home? where there's good family atmosphere and there's good dinner and there's this great dinner party and there's excitement around the table and dad's telling stories and kids are weighing in, that's going to be heaven. You're not going to want to leave the table. There's going to be jokes, there's going to be laughter, and it's never going to stop. There's going to be enthusiasm. And the same is going to be true as we get our hands to service and do some work. There is going to be endless unequaled pleasures that can't even be probably explained away in this life. I think lastly, they will be, uh, we'll participate in awesome worship. Now friends, this is not all we're going to do. Don't get scared away by that. We are not just going to sit and worship, 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 worship. Everything we do is going to be an act of worship. And that should be our goal here on earth, that everything we do is an act of worship. That we, we go to work and we, we not just serve our boss, we're serving God. And, and when we serve at work, when we work with our hands or work with our mind at our job, we're really doing that before God, and we're giving Him our very best. We're not just doing it for a paycheck. We're not just doing it so when the boss looks over our shoulder, we look good. We're doing it for God. And, and, and I know that some of us have equated worship with singing and with preaching, and, but there's so much more than that. Sometimes I get stopped on throughout the week at a restaurant or just being out in town, and people will say, man, that was such a great worship service last week. I really felt God's presence. And I know there's times in this room where you feel God's presence, or there's times maybe when you're in your car and you're listening to a Christian radio or Christian song, and something just hits you just right, and you don't want to really stop the song and get out of your car. You just want to let it sing through, and you just don't want that moment to end, or you don't want the moment in this room to end of great worship. And you say, why can't this continue? Well, heaven, it's going to continue. It's not going to end. It's going to be these times where we, we know we've encountered God. We know we've worshipped God. We've given Him proper respect. We've given Him proper glory. We've given Him proper honor. We haven't just lip-synced our way through the words. We haven't just clapped because it seems like the right thing to do. We are enthusiastic and we're drawn in to do it. Almost like a sporting event where it's just contagious the crowd is because the players on the field are playing so well and you want to recognize it you want to recognize God you'll have a desire in your heart to have these moments of putting God in the right place and I know the I know that John the revelator struggled with trying to explain heaven if you get in the book of revelation he says it's like it's like it's like it's like it's he never says it is That's John's way of saying, I can't explain it to you. I can only try to dumb it down for you in earthly terms. So John stops trying to explain it in earthly terms, and he says, let me stop explaining it to you. Let me stop trying to tell you what's in heaven, and let me tell you what's not in heaven. Maybe that's easier. So John says, take a moment, and let me just listen to what's not in heaven. He will wipe every tear. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Now, who does the Bible say is going to wipe away the tears? Our Lord, Jesus Christ. In one sense, an act that he never stops serving... And he doesn't delegate this role of wiping away your tears to some angelic duty. He doesn't delegate this out to some kind of patriarchal saint. He says, "I'm going to wipe away your tears." Those scarred hands from the nails that were pierced are going to wipe away our tears. And we're going to worship. We're going to explore. We're going to reunite. We're going to eat. We're going to dance. I know some of you aren't dancers, but you're going to have legs to dance. We're going we're to endlessly have pleasure that's going to satisfy us for the rest of our lives and friends. You know what the most selfish thing that we can do as we walk out of here today? It's just keep this for ourselves. It's just hold on to this and say, well, that's good. I've got the key. I've got Christ, and and I know the way to heaven. And not bring family and friends that you know are outside of Christ back into this place so they can hear and respond to a message of grace like you had maybe some years ago, and they too can give their life to Christ. You know, that flyer I received, that email I received about that special trip to Barbados where they wanted to offer all these things to me so I can go and just live it up and get away from my present circumstances. It said, RSVP. Now, some of you know, you're smarter than I, exactly what RSVP stands for. It's French for répondez-vous-plaît, and I'm sure I didn't get that right, but it means please respond. I didn't respond to the trip to Barbados because I didn't have the money. But friends, to RSVP for heaven, it doesn't cost you anything because Jesus has already paid the price. And he's calling you to do four things. And they're quite simple. Confess Jesus Christ as your Lord. Believe in him as Savior. Admit that you are a sinner. And demonstrate your faith through the repentance of sins walking towards Jesus now and being baptized into Jesus Christ. And I'm calling on you to RSVP to respond to Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. It's not enough just to believe. It's not enough just to confess. As we believe and confess, let's turn those things into action and demonstrate that Jesus Christ truly is Lord and Savior of our lives. Let's live for Him. Let's be put to death to our old self and rise again with new life.